people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I am talking to Cece Cleary. She is, gosh, she is a multi-hyphenate, has been doing a lot of stuff over the years, casting stunts. She is a professional wind sailor, and she is also a producer. And she's produced a new movie called To Leslie. Check out the interview and check out To Leslie when it comes to theaters near you. Gosh, you are quite a hyphenate. You've got acting, modeling, athlete, producing. I mean, so many things under your wonderful puffy hat. I'm so curious how you got into all this. I got into it because I had a passion for the ocean and windsurfing, and my family thought I was crazy. So I'm going to move to Hawaii, and I'm going to become a professional windsurfer. They're like, what? I'm like, no, I'll do it. And they're like, okay. Okay. It took me years to accomplish that, but I ended up doing it. Yeah. It wasn't pretty at first. Oh yeah. My first contest, I I went out into the waves and went straight into the rocks. I was like, embarrassing, embarrassing, but I didn't give up. How long does it take you to become a professional windsurfer? A very long time. To do the big waves in Hawaii, you have to do a lot of training. I don't know how I talked my college into it. I went to University of Vermont. And I talked them into doing Maui Community College and transferring my credits. So I go to class for a couple of hours a day, and then I train all afternoon. And I would ask my friends, I'm like, "Am I ready for the big waves yet?" They're like, "No, no, don't even try it. <laughs> don't even bother. Go train a little more." <laughs> How did you even learn of windsurfing as a sport? Well, I had a really good friend who was um, an Olympic windsurfer who I knew since childhood who lived in Tortola and my family used to go there on vacations and I would just watch everyone. I'm like, I want to do that. So he helped teach me and, but that was flat water. Yeah. So flat water is a no brainer, but big waves in Hawaii, that's one other situation. So I went to Hawaii thinking, Oh, I got this. Oh no. Embarrassing. I mean, it was like my first day at the big waves. I was straight in the rocks and it was like, and everybody was laughing. I saw everyone that night, you know, because everyone after windsurfing, big wave surfing, we all go to the same restaurants and bars. And they're like, yeah, we saw you today. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. But you stuck with it. I did stick with it. And I I just ate humble pie. And I'm like, I'm just going to keep training until I, until I do this. So I had read that you got involved with somebody. Was it from Jaws? What was that story? Oh, yeah. All the big Jaws guys. Um like Laird Hamilton, Pete Cabrina, Rush Randall, Mark Angulo. Who are the original other guys? Um, I'm blanking on a couple of names, but they were all big wave windsurfers. Dave Klom is another one. And uh, we were all on different teams for big wave windsurfing. But at the same time, they were kind of moving on to Jaws. So they were getting out of big wave windsurfing, but into Jaws. They They were very supportive of me. They helped me navigate being a female professional athlete, they were great. 
so they taught me everything. And then when kite surfing came around, they were the entrepreneurs of kite surfing. And they're like, we need a couple more women out there. So I was one of their test dummies. I'm like, thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> so this isn't Jaws the movie. No, no, no. This is Jaws the big wave surf break in Maui. Okay. All right. That's why I was so yeah, confused. Because you eventually you know, have a career in movies. And I was like, what, what is this, this Jaws connection? Yeah. Yeah. I know it can be confusing, right? Yeah. So Jaws is one of the biggest surf breaks um, in the world. It happens to be on Maui. It's a big thing now. Yeah. Not to be confused with Jaws the movie. So how do you eventually get involved with film? Well, because I was doing all of this and because I finally made it as a professional athlete and windsurfer, uh, a lot of movies were being filmed in Maui at the time and Oahu. I just sort of fit the bill. I was five foot five brunette and I just did a lot of stunt doubling for surfing scenes, for whatever production companies needed. And I was uh, commercially modeling at the time for Champion Sports where a lot of other companies were all filming on Maui. I just was like, hmm, I want to be behind the camera. It's fun. It's fun to be in front of the camera, but it's sort of like, this is boring. I want to learn behind the camera. So what I did was I, every time I didn't get an acting or modeling or stunt job, I would just say, listen, I want to be PA. I'll go get people coffee. I don't care. I just want to learn. Yeah. And that's how it all started. That was in my twenties. And, um, and then I got into locations management because those were the jobs I was getting offered. And at that time in Maui, there were a lot of good jobs coming through. Clint Eastwood had done Hereafter. I would just take any job I could. And that's how I learned. The casting agent that you know had done Lost and still does everything on Oahu is a good friend of mine. She flew me over to Oahu and she's like, because I was going to be the stunt double for Evangeline Lilly. Yeah. And she's like, okay, well, there's a problem here because she already has a stunt double. And then they were trying to cast me for parts in that. And they're like, you look too much like her. You, you will never get an acting part, but we could have you as a stunt double. But then her friends, the stunt double, I'm like, oh, well. Doing stunts is no joke. How do you learn to do stunts? Interesting thing is I didn't really learn to do them. There was one stunt they had me do. I had no idea how to do. It was an underwater diving commercial for a European perfume company. You know, I told the production company, I'm like, I don't know how to dive. And I don't have a license. Like, we'll teach you. And I said, okay, (laughs) fine. (laughs) And then they had me in this jungle outfit in like a freezing cold pool in uh, the Big Island. And I was like, guys, this could be kind of dangerous because I don't have a license. I don't even know how to like do the air properly. And they taught me the day before and I somehow put it off. And so I was doing all these scenes where the director had earphones so I could hear it underwater. But then I was freezing my butt off and I had people lower me down and it was like in and out of the pool all day. I don't know how I did it. I swear to that. That was one thing I was not prepared for. I was sort of like, I don't know if I can do this, but the other stunts weren't a big deal because they were windsurfing stunts or big wave surfing stunts. I know how to surf big waves. I know how to windsurf. I know how to jump off a cliff. You know, there's a couple of things I had to jump off a cliff for, but that to me was easy. Jumping off a cliff is easy for you. Okay. Well, at the time, I, w- I wouldn't do that now. I would take a pass on that one at the moment. 
you are doing the the doubling, you're doing the stunts, you move into the location management. I mean, what's next? What comes after that? Well, I did that for a while and then I decided I want to produce, but I knew it would be kind of a long road. You know, an opportunity came to me about five years ago where I I produced my first movie, 40 Love. And my very close family friend, you know, said, I trust you. And I said, listen, I'll put a team together. I will make this movie happen, but you have to trust me. And so I got the financing secured. I put a team together and we did it. And we had such a good experience with it. We picked up another movie, uh, Blue Water Lane. We picked up the rights to a movie called Flamingo Thief, which is a great movie. Unfortunately, because of COVID, no fault to the two lead actors, but they weren't comfortable working during COVID. I didn't know what to do. I was on a one-day reshoot for 411 in New York during COVID, and I get the call. I mean, I had production offices open. I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I called my producing partners who are lovely, Jason Schumann. He's doing the Lakers series right now, and his uh, other producing partner, Eduardo Cisneros. They're also doing Acapulco 2 right now. We all had a talk, and we read 11 scripts over one weekend. And we all talked on Monday morning, and we decided two Leslie was the one. Because I didn't want to lose my crew for Flamingo Thief. And they were a lovely crew. I mean, I didn't want to lose our team. We all decided this is the one. And then I flew back to LA. We went and met with the financiers, and we said, this is the one. Do you guys approve it? And they said, yes. And two weeks, we were in pre-production. For two Leslie. You shot that all during COVID? Yes. It was very challenging because the first two weeks we were shooting, LA wasn't shut down. And then the first two weeks into shooting, they shut down. But they 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 kept us working. They, luckily the governor kept us um deemed essential. But it was a little creepy. I was staying at the um Sunset Marquee. I was like one of the only guests. But I was on set every day anyway, so I'd leave, you know, seven in the morning. I wouldn't get home till 10 at night. So, but when I got home, it was a little creepy. The cast for to Leslie is fantastic. How did you get all those folks involved? Well, I'll give that to Michael Morris. He is amazing. He's one of the best directors I've ever worked with. This was his first opportunity to do a feature film and everything he touches is gold. Everything he's done on Netflix, you know, you go from bloodline to all the other series he's done. And I just believed in him. People come out for him. And also Arlie Day, she's a casting agent in LA and her and Michael are very close. They worked on Brothers and Sisters together. Between like Arlie and Michael, they just pulled in all this cast. Mark Marin, Allison Janney, Andrea Riseborough. Um, I give credit to Michael for that. Yeah, your main actress, Leslie herself, She's a chameleon because I've seen her in so many things. And when her name came up, I was like, oh, I know who this is. And then when she was on screen, I was like, who is this woman? (laughs) I I really had a hard time recognizing her. She can make herself look so different in all these different roles. Oh, she's amazing. Um, Our trailers were right next to each other the whole time we were shooting, our three bangers. And she was in character the whole time. So I never approached her. So the first time I actually met her was at the premiere at South by Southwest. I understand how actors work. And when they're in character, you don't want to bother them. She was in character the entire time. I have never seen anything like her performance. I I was blown away. She's so lovely. 
And it was so fun to, you know, spend time with her at South by Southwest. You know, we all got to have fun. And I hosted an after party after the premiere. And it was so fun because everyone got to hang out. And because we didn't get to do a rap party because of COVID. So that was kind of like our rap party. And she seemed very relaxed. And uh, she's so talented. The character is lovely, though. And that's what's so important about the narrative of the movie. It's about like a redemption story where she's a lovely person. And the fact that Mark Marin believed in her and their relationship is so beautiful. He believed in her. The cutest scene is where he's like, I got your phone call. And she's like, what phone call? That's like my favorite part of the movie. And for a stranger to believe in somebody who has gone through a hard time. And then Owen Teague, I think he's the next up and comer as well. I mean, he's amazing. And then Andrea Rojo, who played Bubbles in The Wire, you know, he was so funny. I feel like the second and the third act, it gets lighter. The first act is, you know, we had to set the tone of what was happening. But as you get through the second and third act, it's such a beautiful redemption story. Yeah. Where did you find Owen Teague? He was amazing, to your point from earlier. Oh, um, Michael Morris, because he um, directed him in Bloodline. Yeah, so that's the connection. So Michael Morris, I mean, he's the rock star in all of this. He's the one that brought all the talent in. And he is just so kind and smart. And then the fact we decided to shoot it on film, Michael decided to shoot it on film, uh, you know, it just added to the edginess of it being 1992 in West Texas, and it just worked. I didn't realize how used to video I was until I started watching the film last night. I was like, oh my God, this looks amazing. Yeah, it was kind of a pain in the ass because you have to get the dailies out every day. It's a little more challenging when you're not on digital, but he made a wise choice to do it on film. And also we shot up in Lancaster, not a fun place to be, but it was the only town in California that could double for West Texas. Oh, that was fun. We had to clear out the whole hotel. We had to displace everybody. (laughs) What a cast of characters we had to remove from the hotel. We had uh, a tech scout up there. And one of my producing partners like, this is scary. I got to get out of here. I'm like, it's going to be okay. When we come to shoot, we'll get everybody out of here. It's going to be just fine. Yeah, it was something. So when did you finally get to see the whole film put together? Was that South by or did you get to see it beforehand? Oh my goodness, I've seen it a hundred times because I'm a producer. I had to watch every single cut of it for the past six months and give notes. And Michael and I would talk all the time. I talk with my other producing partners. We give notes, okay, we've got to cut this, add this, put this back in, take this out. I watched that movie probably a hundred times before we got to the version we have. That's my job as a producer. It's just, and I like to be a little laissez-faire where I trust our director, Michael Morris, and I trust my other producers, but we all had to look at it. We went through so many edits to get where it's at. Was your premiere the first time you saw with an audience or had you seen it with an audience before? There was a two and a half hour version that we did. Oh gosh, it must have been six months ago or so uh, up in LA. And that was only the producers and Michael Morris and just the close crew. And that, but that was not with the public audience. The first time we saw it with the public audience was South by. All of us saw it a million times. Like, and we were all just like, 
oh gosh, what are we going to do? Where do we cut? Where do we put back in? Because, you know, you hate to cut your darlings, but at the end of the day, it's like, where do we cut? Where do we not cut? How do we do this? And, you know, the original cut is brilliant. The two and a half hour cut, I love. I just love it. Michael loves it too. We couldn't use a two and a half hour cut. So what we ended up with, which is a South by, and there's so many scenes I just miss, but you know, is what it is. It's got to be a little nerve wracking, your premiere to see it with an audience the first time. You know, it was, I was a little nervous. I was sitting with Michael Morrison's wife, Mary and my dad and my best friend. And I was just like, oh gosh, I hope this gets received well. I'm like, I don't know how it's going to go. I believe in the movie. We all do, but you just never know. And at the end of the movie at South by, we got a standing ovation and people were crying. I was like, oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. I was very happy. So what's next for it? Are you playing the festival circuit now? We'll go to Chicago and Nantucket. A couple, we'll go to Cannes for the buyer's market, for the foreign market. Yeah, that that's not official, but I should know in the next couple of days if that's official or not, but it should be. When we're not in a pandemic, how many projects do you typically have in the fire at the same time? I've got quite a few. The tricky thing is you're never as good as your last act. So I always have things I have the rights to, or our company has the rights to, not me personally, our company. Yeah, I've got about six more in the in the coals right now. Because it takes that long to develop a movie. And then some of them I have uh, shopping rights on. And then the other ones that are um, that we have the rights to, um, I have those in the works. But it, it, it takes so much time in development. So what happened with The Flamingo Thief? Did that ever come to fruition? Well, we Blue Water Lane, uh, we saw the rights to it, which is lovely. We're, we're still going to do it. It's just very tricky because with the lead actors, I don't blame them. They weren't comfortable working during COVID, but they're still signed on to it and everything's still in place. It's just with everybody's schedules and timing and financing and that sort of thing is sort of like, okay, well, how can we still make this happen? So we're still working on that. It's just timing everybody's schedules and if that's still a possibility. Um, The tricky thing with actors that are that busy, just getting their schedules coordinated. That's the hardest part. I've got another movie called Chasing Cleopatra, who is by a lovely woman named Tina Sloan, who who used to be a star in The Guiding Light. And then she did a bunch of Woody Allen movies, and she's a very close friend of mine. We're working on that. We we just have another version of the script that I should have by this weekend. And then there's another movie called The Chinaman, which is like a caper crime movie, which I'm fascinated by. So I'm working on that as well. But those are all. Well, Flamenco Thief is way past development. It's more just coordinating people's schedules and and getting that together. The other two are in development. If you had a magic wand and could bring a project to life, what would it be? Well, there's there's one. I know it might sound like a crazy person called The Butterfly. She's someone I know from L.A. And it's a little bit like the Clint Eastwood Hereafter movie where there's all these things that happen where you're kind of like, "How, how did that even happen? It's a story about how when you lose people in your life, you can connect from the other side. I know that sounds weird and very LA, but the coincidence I've had, I'm kind of like, it's a very interesting story. So I'm thinking about getting the rights to that because I, I feel like it's a message people need to have. When people die, they're, they're not gone. They're still here. 
Now, I think people need a little bit of hope right now. And I don't think that would be a, a bad message. So that would be my magic wand. If I could make that movie happen, I'd be very happy because people need to wake up every day and be like, okay, there are people that care in the world. There, There is hope. And you just never know when things happen. Like you lose people you love and life can be very challenging and just have a little hope. It's amazing how you've been able to just craft this career to have that those goals of, I want to do this. Now I want to do this. Now I want to do that. And that you've hit those. I mean, that's got to be pretty satisfying to look back, even just, you know, you're not nowhere near done with anything, but just to be able to say like, I've done all these things and I'm still going. And I'm so humble. And that's what the guys in Hollywood taught me. Ben O'Dell is one of my very close friends. Uh, he works with Lionsgate, Jason Schumann, um, Peter Block. They just all taught me to be humble. Like, So thank you for saying that. But I, I have a hard time patting myself on the shoulder. They're like, just always be humble. And, you know, so I try to stick with that. But thank you for saying so. I've had a wonderful time talking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it was so lovely to meet you. And thank you for taking the time to interview me and talking about Two Leslie. I really appreciate it.